Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about issues of the day from a biblical perspective, as well as highlights from interviews, conferences, and events. Here's Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. For this edition, we're featuring remarks made by Dr. Frank Turek during the Illinois Family Institute's 2017 Worldview Conference held at the Village Church of Barrington. The award-winning author and president of CrossExamine.org spoke on several issues, including the Equality Act. The legislation will give sexuality the same legal status as race under federal law, and the Equality Act overrides the Religious Freedom Restoration Act as a defense against discrimination claims. All laws discriminate, but they discriminate against behaviors, not persons. All laws discriminate. Good laws. I mean, we did have bad laws. We had laws that did discriminate against people by their skin color, but skin color is not a behavior. Now, we do discriminate against behaviors, and that's what all good laws do. So let's deal then with this question, because this is what's coming next. Sexual orientation, a protected class. And this is going to be a big problem if it ever passes. Why should sexual orientation not be a protected class? First of all, it's a solution in search of a problem. Why? Let me ask you a question. Are people who self-identify as homosexuals having trouble getting jobs? No, in fact, they basically run the workplace. That's why we have all this political correctness in all these major companies. Median income for homosexuals is above the median income for heterosexuals. So this is not a situation where a government remedy is necessary because there's no problem. People who self-identify as homosexuals are welcome in the workplace. And if they're not, the market would take care of it. If somebody put a sign outside their shop that said, no gays allowed, how long would that shop be open? In the name of inclusion, tolerance, and diversity, not long, right? It's not like race, which has no impact on behavior, as I mentioned. This gives preference to an endless list of behaviors that may harm business. Let's take a very practical, a practical look at this. Should a business be forced to give preference to, say, someone who is a man who cross-dresses as a woman and comes into the place of business, and because, look, people judge one another by the way they look. In the first four seconds, people judge you. I'm not saying it's fair, but they do. So you're employing somebody to be in your retail establishment. The person is a man. One day they come in dressed as a woman. They have this protection, and they're driving away customers based upon how they're conducting themselves in your shop. If you fire that person, what's going to happen? There's probably going to be a lawsuit coming your way which may put you out of business whether you win or lose, right? All the court costs and all that. You see the problem with this? This is behavior. This is not like skin color. It has nothing to do with behavior. This is behavior. In fact, here's the real problem. This favors 3% of people who engage in medically unhealthy behavior over the 97% of people who do not. That's anything but equality. That's inequality. Now, generally, if someone asks you a question, should gays be discriminated against in the workplace? In other words, should, should you have the right not to hire homosexuals? Generally, the answer is no. You should hire anybody. But certainly in a church, 
you should have the right to hire whoever you want, right? I mean, the, generally the answer is no, because it doesn't affect job behavior. But when this stuff starts happening, then it does affect job behavior, doesn't it? And that's, that's the reason why you should have the, the ability to say no. I can't have that in my business. I'm here to make money. I'm not here for a social experiment, which is one of the problems our military has had. We've turned it into a social experiment rather than its ultimate mission to protect, support, and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now, what about the bathroom wars? We were at ground zero in North Carolina. In fact, the, in fact, I gave a speech outside the Capitol on this. First of all, I know this is going to be a shock to you, but there's been a lot of misinformation by the media. I know it's shocking. Really? Again, there's no discrimination against anyone. The bathroom and the shower use are all behaviors regulated for public safety. Here's what happened. In North Carolina, in Charlotte, the mayor of Charlotte decided she was going to resurrect a bathroom bill to try and say anybody in any bathroom in Charlotte, public, private, had to, have, had to be able to use the bathroom of their, whatever their choice they wanted to. Okay, and uh, she was going to force private businesses to do this, public businesses, everybody to do it. It passed the Charlotte City Council. The legislature run by Republicans in Raleigh said, we can't allow this to stand because it's going to harm potentially our wives and our daughters, our children who are going into bathrooms and shower facilities and legally could be met in there by grown men. And so my friend Dan Forrest, the uh, lieutenant governor there, I've known him for many years, he is the one that called the special session in Charlotte, I mean in Raleigh, to bring the legislature into session to create what's called HB2. And what HB2 did is it said that no municipality could make such laws even though that already was the case. Charlotte did not have the authority to do what they did, but HB2 made it emphatic. And they also said that any municipality that has special laws for special groups no longer can enforce those laws. We're going to have, across the state of North Carolina, one set of employment laws. Because if you're a business, you can't figure out what every little municipality has a different law for your employees. That's too onerous, so we're going to have one law. So some municipalities like Durham and Raleigh and Charlotte had these sexual orientation laws. They went away with HB2, rightfully so. And so immediately the business community went nuts. Why did they go nuts? Because the human rights campaign, the misnamed human rights campaign, told them to go nuts because they have this equality index and they want to make sure these businesses do that they're going to stay up on the equality index, whatever that means. So my friend Dan Forrest, the lieutenant governor, the day this whole thing hit, picked up the phone, called an executive at a major company in Raleigh who came out against it and said, hey, this is Lieutenant Governor Forrest. Have you read the bill? Uh, no. Really? Why are you against it? Human rights campaign just told us we need to be against it, right? So in any event, a lot of misinformation has gone on in the media. This is discrimination and all this. So I recommended 
The governor didn't do it, but I recommended through my channels, I said, here's what the governor needs to do. I said, governor, you need to call a summit in Raleigh, and you need to invite the media, and you need to call in all the business leaders, all the university presidents who really are the NC2A, right? It's not the, it's not the sports teams that don't want to play in Charlotte. It's the liberal college professors who run the NC2A. You need to call them into Charlotte, turn the TV, into Raleigh, turn the TV cameras on, sit down around a big table and say this, okay, I want you to tell me why grown men should be allowed to go into children's bathrooms and showers. Go! And then just be quiet and see what they say. Tell the world why this is good public policy. He didn't do it. He lost the election. He lost by about 9,000 votes out of about 4 million cast. And by the way, I've stopped watching the NBA for this reason. The NBA said, we're going to pull out of Charlotte and we're going to move our, our all-star game to, to New Orleans. And you know what? New Orleans has the exact same laws Charlotte has. <laughs> Can you talk about hypocrisy? So, the point here is, is that this is not an issue of discrimination. No one's being discriminated against. It's not like we're saying, nobody can use the bathroom. Oh, by the way, the, here's the other thing you need to know. The other thing you need to know about this is the very companies, PayPal, Cisco, Lowe's, Marriott, a number of others in North Carolina, Apple, these companies did not have transgendered bathrooms in their own private facilities. And they were complaining that the government didn't mandate it on everyone. They weren't even doing it voluntarily themselves. Talk about hypocrisy. And by the way, some of these same companies are doing business in Saudi Arabia where they execute homosexuals. And they're coming down on North Carolina when reason isn't the reason. Notice this has nothing to do with reason. This has nothing to do with evidence. By the way, the only way we've been able to hold the line in there is because the church and people like you in our state have risen up. Again, you don't have to convince one liberal of your position. What you need to do is mobilize the people that you know who at least share part of your worldview. Get them engaged. If you can do that, if the church speaks up, there's nothing that can stop it. The church needs to speak up. Also, let's for a minute talk about what is transgenderism. Now, this is going to sound offensive, but I don't mean it to be offensive. I just think it's true diagnostically. Dr. Paul McHugh from John Hopkins University is a psychiatrist. At Hopkins, they were the first university hospital to actually perform so-called same-sex transition surgeries. They don't do them anymore. Why not? Because they found out that the cure was worse than the disease. That people who had these, these surgeries had a suicide rate 20 times higher than the general public. And what McHugh says, he said this in the Wall Street Journal, he said transgenderism is a mental disorder. You have a psychological mismatch between your mind and your body. It's a psychological mismatch. It's like anorexia. If someone has anorexia, if they think they're fat, but they're, they're 79 pounds, 
you have a mental problem here. You don't fix that problem by affirming that they're fat. You fix the problem by getting them the mental psychiatry treatment that they need. And the same thing is true with transgenderism. But because anorexia has nothing to do with sex, it's not covered under the religion of sex. See, the religion of sex says transgenderism has something to do with sex, and so it can't be a mental disorder. Just like homosexuality years ago was termed a mental disorder. But the uh, APA, under political pressure, bowed to say it wasn't a mental disorder. Now, I don't mean to sound offensive. I'm just trying to tell you what the, what the medical doctors have said. That's what this is about. So affirming a mismatch between psychology and biology harms the individual. You don't do anybody any favors by affirming their transgenderism. If you truly love people, you will stand in opposition to things that will hurt them. All right? So let's sum all this up and take your questions. Homosexual and heterosexual relationships are not the same, can never be the same, and can never provide the same benefits to individuals or society. So we hurt everyone by pretending otherwise. More of Dr. Frank Turek's remarks from the 2017 Illinois Family Institute Worldview Conference after this. This professor refuses to live by lies. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. Last week, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that philosophy professor Nicholas Merriweather can sue Shawnee State University for violating his First Amendment rights. Here's the story. When a biological male student who identifies as transgender requested that Merriweather address him as a female, Merriweather refused. His Christian faith, said the professor, prevents him from referring to gender in a way that's false. Instead, Merriweather offered to use the student's last name. The student complained. The school reprimanded Merriweather and threatened him with dismissal, so Merriweather sued. Initially, the case was dismissed, but on appeal, the Sixth Circuit ruled that the claim Shawnee State violated Merriweather's First Amendment rights by compelling speech or silence was plausible. So now Merriweather, represented by the Alliance Defending Freedom, will have the chance to make his case in court. Soviet dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote, At the very least, we must not participate in lies. Thankfully, this professor, at least for now, won't have to. I'm John Stone Street. Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. We're featuring highlights from the Illinois Family Institute's 2017 Worldview Conference at the Village Church of Barrington. For this segment, Dr. Frank Turek weighs in on immigration and open borders. Certainly timely topics for today. We're going to go to questions now. The question is, my church leaders seem to be buying into the whole discussion about refugees and we, we should let everybody in mm -hmm. because of uh, the love of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's your take? Well, first of all, I would ask somebody who says they're for open borders, do you have a lock on your door? Everybody believes in borders. The question is, where is the border? Is the border at your door, your yard, your city, your state, your country? Where's the border? Because everybody believes in borders. Nobody believes in open borders. Everybody believes that there is a limit somewhere. The question is, where's the limit? Now, biblically, there's a lot of people trying to bring up the Bible. It's amazing that liberals will quote the Bible when they think it helps their case, but won't when it says abortion's wrong or, you know, killing somebody in the womb is wrong. Or... In any event, there's an article by James Hoffmeyer, I think it is. You can look it up. James Hoffmeyer's written a book on this. He's an Old Testament scholar. And he points out 
that even in the Old Testament, you remember when Moses wanted to go through Edom and he asked to the king of Edom, can I go through Edom? And the king of Edom said no. Why? Because there's sovereign borders in the Old Testament. There were sovereign borders in in Egypt. There were even sovereign borders in Israel. That's why God said you will have so much land. Not the whole earth, but you will have a particular area. So borders are biblical and borders are totally fine. They're totally used by all of us at all times. The question is, where do we draw the line? And I think that um, we can argue all day over what our level of immigration should be, but the president has an obligation to ensure that people who come into this country are coming into this country not to harm its citizens. Because if they are coming in to harm their citizens, then the president is not doing his job by ensuring they don't get in. That's why vetting's necessary. All right, your question. Hi, I'm Kimberly Thompson. I'm a children's author. I have been looking into the Christian left websites. Uh-huh. And they have a t-shirt that they're promoting that says, Jesus was a refugee. And I thought it was really interesting because it talks about going back into the biblical story of mm -hmm. Christ as a baby when the angel came to Joseph and said, get up and go to a safer place. Uh -huh. Herod was chasing him. Yeah. And that's really made me think of this refugee issue from a Christian perspective. How do you feel about that? Well, I think we ought to help refugees as much as we can. The question is, can we vet them so... We don't have radical Islamic terrorists infiltrating our country with them. If we can vet them, I'm all for it. Here's one of the problems, though. The, the model we have in America is you come to America and participate in what we call the American experiment. Unfortunately, some people groups don't want to assimilate. And typically, not all, but typically they're Muslim groups. They don't want to assimilate. They don't want to assimilate into the culture. They want to stay separate from the culture. That's why you have areas of, say, Paris that you can't even go into. And they're run by Sharia law. So do we want to bring people over here that are going to try and install Sharia law in our country? No. Because that's against the United States Constitution. But I like the concept of a toss salad because everybody's individual differences make the whole, like God's salad versus the melting pot where everybody's just one and the same. A toss salad? A toss salad. Okay, yeah, well, I don't know if I get the uh, connection directly. But let me say one thing. You always hear this, diversity is our strength. No, diversity is not our strength unless it feeds unity. If it doesn't feed unity, it's not a strength. If it doesn't feed unity, if it tears apart the society rather than brings it together. You see, when you have a community, what does that mean? A common unity. If you agree on certain values, certain principles... Right to life, right to liberty, the pursuit of happiness, which is kind of a euphemism for doing the right thing. If you agree on those things, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, freedom of association, you agree on all those things, and people have come from diverse cultures and all agree on that, that's fine. But if you have people coming to this country who don't want those values and want those superseded by Sharia law, that's not a strength. That's a weakness. You uh, mentioned that uh, people hear slogans that aren't true and are contradictory, and that's what they believe. And I've run into that with talking with Christians on these issues, that they're, they're getting their information from the liberal media. Yeah. They believe the sound bites. 
And this is the kind of information we need to be taught in our churches. Uh -huh. um, I'm just wondering if you have any suggestions on how we can encourage our churches to uh, educate people rather than listening to just the sound bites in the liberal media. Well, I think uh, that's what, look, pastors are overworked. Pastors have the second hardest job in American Christianity. The hardest job is pastor's wife, all right? But pastors are overworked, so if you go to a pastor and say, hey, I want you to get skilled on uh, teaching people about these issues, he's going to go, look, man, I'm overworked. But if there's somebody in the church, like you or somebody else, that can say, look, I want to run a class for interested people on this. If you would just give me pulpit support to say, hey, Jan's going to run a class. It's going to be at such and such a time. It's going to talk about these issues. You can sign up here, be there. That's the way to do it. All right, thanks. Yes, sir. This phrase, are you judging me, uh -huh. I find uh, difficult to uh, kind of unravel. Sometimes I say, no, I'm not judging you. I'm merely observing what you're doing. And, uh, but somehow that doesn't seem to carry much weight. How do you deal with this, uh, are you judging me? Well, when they say that, they're judging you. They're saying it's wrong for you to judge, which is a judgment itself. Secondly, I would say that, look, it's true that I don't, I don't determine right from wrong. I discover right from wrong. And if you're doing something that is wrong and I say that it's wrong, I'm not the standard. I'm just the messenger. I'm just saying, look, it's wrong to murder people. It's not my moral law. I didn't, these aren't my morals. I didn't make up the fact that murder is wrong. I am just recognizing that it's wrong and I'm mentioning it to you or abortion's wrong, or homosexual behavior's wrong, not homosexual orientation or homosexual attractions, but the actions are wrong. So I would say they're judging you, and secondly, you're just, you're just observing, as you said, the behavior you already know is wrong. Yes? Okay, we had recently had a pastor's conference concerning the same-sex issue with academics taking some pretty liberal positions along with uh, the conservative academics. Mm -hmm. Same-sex attraction, yet celibate. I would like to, for you to speak to the danger of equating same-sex attraction as being normalized when in reality it's a disordered attraction. Yeah, I think, I think you are correct about that. The issue, of course, is can somebody still serve if he or she has that orientation? That's the question, and that's the question we need to work through. I personally would probably be concerned about that. But again, attractions aren't actions. We all have attractions we ought not act on. And if we had to have all our attractions ordered, none of us could probably serve. So it's a very difficult question and it's a difficult issue you bring up. I've got a concern. It seems like even in evangelical churches now, the truth is being suppressed. Yep. You can talk about a lot of things, even the pro-life issue, but they steer clear of the whole same-sex attraction. What should we do in response to that? Well, I think we as, uh, as people in the church who really were all priests according to the scriptures, we have to become informed and we have to educate, as I mentioned earlier, people who share our worldview on this issue. So if you're not getting it from the pulpit, you can, of course, ask the pastor to talk about the issue. But if he doesn't talk about it, then you can at least talk about it and teach on it uh, in your small group or in your Sunday school class, wherever you are, because not everything can be taught by the pastor. Not everything 
that we want taught is going to be taught by the pastor, it's okay. You can take matters into your own hands and be uh, salt and light wherever you are. So I think that's what we need to do. All right. Another question. My question is, how do we navigate through uh, some of the difficult issues about our spiritual heritage and formation of our country? I mean, obviously, the Founding Fathers were men of genius in terms of the documents that we have, but the blight uh, on our nation's history is slavery. Mm -hmm. and, and how do we just navigate through some of that when we're talking on the one hand about uh, what was inscripted in our documents about the, the value of that, but the flaw in the document African slaves considered three-fifths of a man or something like that. And that actually was not in the document. That was a bad Supreme Court decision called Dred Scott. But what happened was, after the Civil War, Congress said, we're going to pass an amendment. They didn't come up with a court case that said blacks and whites are equal. They actually went and amended the Constitution like they should have. Do you realize that when women got the right to vote in 1920, that's when women got the right to vote, it wasn't done by a court, it was done by constitutional amendment. So the method to change the law is right in the Constitution itself. To have you know, five unelected justices in black robes decide what the law should be is not the way this country should have been set or was set up. It should be through constitutional amendment. So that's what we ought to do. Now, if somebody brings up the blight of slavery, you can agree with it, but then you could ask the question, why was it a blight? What's wrong with slavery? By what standard? Oh, oh, you believe in God. Okay, good. We have some common ground now. Because there's nothing wrong with slavery if there is no God, just because there's nothing wrong with anything. Everything's just a matter of opinion, right? So always transition to the source of where our rights come from. They come from God. Thank you. My name's Tim. I'm also from Rockford. Yes. Uh, Woo! Rock People love Rockford here. It's not that great. Um, Rockford's not that so, great, apparently. That's what he said. So you mentioned uh, Joe Biden. Joe Biden had mentioned how our, our culture's views are so much shaped by uh, cultural things like TV shows. Yeah. That show gay people in them. How could Christians take back that cultural narrative through things like entertainment? I think we need more Christians in entertainment. We need more Christians in news. We need more Christians in every facet of life, in teaching. See, the problem was back in the early part of the last century, Christians circled the wagons and separated from society because they thought they couldn't engage in society and they had the false idea that the only true spiritual vocations were either you were a pastor or a missionary. Everything else was secular. But in reality, everything's sacred. And what the Christians did is instead of engaging the culture, they left the culture. They got out of law. They got out of the media. They got out of, uh, of teaching. They got out of all these disciplines. And they wonder, when you take the godly people out, why the culture goes godless. See, we're the problem. We gave up on the culture. Now we're trying to get back into it. So be engaged. No matter what you do, do it uh, in a Christian way for God, no matter where you are. Please discuss the corollary of Christ and the church well, Christ is going to come for his bride, the church. And in the Bible, our union with our spouse is an illustration of Christ's union with the church. That's really what that's all about. That's why 
It's not just based on the natural design of the male and the female body. I mean, that's part of it, but it's also more of a theological sort of viewpoint of marriage. Marriage isn't just whatever we want it to be. And if it was whatever we want it to be, then the majority could come along and tell people that, oh, same-sex marriage is not what marriage should be. And they're all going to object. Why? Because they think it's a natural right. But it can only be a natural right if God exists. Otherwise, it's just a preference. Look, marriage either has a fixed meaning or it doesn't. If it has a fixed meaning, it's meaning between a man and a woman. If it doesn't have a fixed meaning, then no one has a right to anything. It's just a matter of opinion. Yes, sir. I'm curious if you have any idea. You know, there are certain denominations, uh, Christian denominations, Jewish uh -huh. sects that, that believe in, in homosexuality and... and, and how do they, you know, because the Old Testament and the New Testament addresses those issues. How do they justify it? How do they uh, rationalize it? Well, they basically just disregard the scriptures. The scriptures are metaphorical or the scriptures are unreliable or they're not true believers in the scriptures. And that, those are mainline denominations in Christianity too. They're, in my opinion, they're nothing, they're no different than a hymn singing Rotary Club. You know, they, they hardly believe in God. What's, what's the point? You know, sleep in Sunday, okay? Dr. Frank Turek, award-winning author and president of crossexamine.org. A reminder, you can stay up to date on legislation before the General Assembly and Congress by visiting illinoisfamily.org. Please support the work of IFI. All donations are tax-deductible to give go to IllinoisFamily.org or call 708-781-9328. IllinoisFamily.org or call 708-781-9328. And tell your family and friends about Illinois Family Spotlight. Until next time, stay healthy, stay active, and God bless. For more information about Illinois Family Spotlight, visit ifiaction.org. And to email questions and comments, do so at feedback at ifiaction.org.